Welcome to the Brazil Church of the Nazarene weekly sermon podcast for Sunday, February 3rd, 2019. Today, Pastor Marlon Betts continues his message from the book of Philippians chapter 2. Last week, Pastor talked about the things we as Christians should do without. This week, we look at a couple of things Paul said we should add to our lives. Let's listen to Pastor's message. It's good to be with you again today. I didn't get to preach Wednesday night. So last time I told you it was Wednesday nights that kept me from, from uh, because we missed a couple of Sundays. But anyway, this weather has been kind of crazy. It's targeting Sundays and Wednesdays. But uh, that's all right. We're going to continue to roll. We got you here today. The sun's shining. Smiles are on your face. You're in the Word, right? Let's open the book to uh, Philippians, where we've been inching our way slowly through the book of Philippians. This letter of Paul to the Roman colony of, of Philippi, it's the only letter he wrote to a Roman colony uh, where the, there was a lot of Romans living there. It was a city that was established by Rome. It was a little Rome in the midst of uh, Macedonia. So the people there did not have to follow the, the rules of Macedonia. They had to follow the rules of Rome. And uh, so just kind of a culture within a culture, it's an interesting uh, concept and when he talks about citizenship and things like that, it, it really played with that particular group. Um, we're moving on here, uh, moving through slowly, and we've been talking about the exaltation and, and, and the humiliation, the exaltation of Christ in that great hymn, Philippians 2 5 through 11, how Jesus was exalted, and then at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we pick it up there uh, from what we preached a couple of weeks ago. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as my presence only, verse 12, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. There's salvation. God is working it into your life. And we need to work at it. Work it out. You know, some people think that Christianity is an easy road. No, no, it's not an easy road. We heard that last week. Barb Perry sang that song. It's work. It's work. No easy fix. You get up in the morning and you decide you're going to be a Christian and you work at it. And God gives you the grace and the strength and it becomes easier but we got to be working at this thing. And then last week, do all things without murmuring. We know how that goes, right? It's in any organization, including the church. I don't like what the pastor did. Tell three other people. Sixteen people. We don't have that around here. Murmuring, all right, the word complaining, same kind of idea, disputing the same kind of idea, except Paul used another word there, internal dispute, internal murmuring inside your brain, which means then you get in there and you begin to question God, begin to question things that are going on. Did God really say that? Is that so it's about doubting. 
So there's this murmuring and doubting. And, and Paul says, you got to stay away from this stuff. Work out your salvation, but do it without the murmuring, without the doubting. That's good preaching. Make mine without. So we looked at a couple of things Paul said to stay away from. And then make mine with. Now Paul begins in our lesson today that you may become. This is what we're adding to our our, uh, hamburger. Make mine without pickles and onions, but add to it mustard. Yeah, ketchup, cheese, barbecue sauce, whatever you like, mushrooms, mushrooms and Swiss. Ooh, Swiss cheese. All right, now we're talking. So add to, and this is what we got to add to, that thing we're working on, our, our salvation in Jesus Christ. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God, faultless in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast the word of life. And I'm going to stop there because then it gets into personal stuff from Paul. So Lord, we pray today that you'll help us as we open up the word and and get into it a little bit deeper as we want to grow as Christians. And so we pray that you'll just help us, speak to us. Help us to hide the word of God in our hearts. Help us to grow. Help us to become more like uh, Jesus Christ, who humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So Lord, we want to exalt you so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we're here to work it out, Lord. We're here to work out that salvation. And so we pray that you'll help us to do that today. And we thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Stand up for a moment. Just go ahead, because I forgot to have you stand while I was reading the word. I just got so excited I just started in. So turn to your neighbor and say, God's working on you. There you go. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Thank you. You may be seated. God is working on you. And you got to work as well. Yeah. You, you smell like you've been working this week. Okay. You've been, we've been working, and God is working with us as we work. And so we're going to continue to do this. The Philippian Christians lived in a sinful Roman culture. In many ways, their struggles mirror our own struggles today. For Paul to emphasize two areas to work on in their spiritual lives means we need to also work on these areas in our everyday life. So he's going to say, do without this, the murmuring or the buzzing. That was an illustration we used because you've... You go by a beehive and it's buzz, 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 and, and you know if it gets loud enough, the stingers are coming out. That's the murmuring, the doubting, the, the, the complaint, the thing that's going on in your mind internally, that buzzing and murmuring and what if and all that. Okay, do without that. Get that out of your psyche and get it out of your system and say no to it because God wants to grow you. And what, what do we need to add then to our hamburger? We need to add two things, additions. We need to grow in personal integrity. Personal integrity. Paul used three descriptive words to make this point. 
And to add emphasis, he chose words that started with the same Greek letter, alpha, which means without or not. And so he said that you may become blameless or without blame, harmless without harm. It really has more of an idea of purity and sincerity. Children of God without fault or faultless. Those three words, I wish they'd written them in our English translation the same way. Blameless, harmless, faultless. Uh, or without blame, without harm, without fault. But anyway, because the, they're all one word in the Greek, and they all start with the letter A. And uh, so he's saying it's not fault, it's not blame, it's not... Anyway, so you kind of get the idea. So he's emphasizing... And he contrasted these three words with two words that describe the sinful world. That you're living blameless, harmless, faultless in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. So Paul's writing that these Christians are living in the middle of crooked and perverse generation. Generation means a group of people with the same ancestry... Uh, and, and that are grouped together because, oh, that's a sinful generation, or that's a, a happy generation, or that's the 60s generation, or whatever it is. We, we group those kind of people together because they have similarities, a common ancestry. In other words, they live by the same code. The same code. That's the baby boomers, or whatever it is. And so we put the groups together and say they're living by the same type. Those are millennials. Yeah, it's a millennial. Anyway, so we kind of group them together. So that's what generation means. Now he calls them a crooked group, a perverse group. Now the word crooked is from the root to bend. And it means crooked or curved or warped or bent. So in other words, if God wants us to be straight, that generation says, nope. I want to be bent in a different direction than what God wants me to be in. Okay? So the idea is instead of living morally straight lives, this group of people have purposely let sin bend them in a wrong direction until their lives are terribly warped, crooked, spiritually, from what God intended. Have you seen crooked people? Warped people? Are there some in your neighborhood, some in your area of influence, somebody at your work, that, that you know that they should be going this way, but they're curved, they're bent, they're crooked, right? Perverse is similar. It means distorted, twisted, perverted. A little bit stronger, perhaps, of a word. Again, evil choices have twisted. Not, some people bend into sin. Some people twist into sin, Right? How did you get to that position? Well, I twisted. And, and, and you, you think, how could they do that? Right? There's some sins that you just ask yourself, how can a person do that? Because it is so different than what God intended us to be. And so you'd have to think, twisted to get to that point. We're dealing with issues today that are Twisted. When you start saying, not only are we going to kill babies in the womb, but we might kill babies outside the womb. Twisted. 
I was talking to a financial advisor this week, and he said, it used to be, you know, they made a joke about this. I think he said it was uh, South Park or whatever. They said that they'd taken this years ago and kind of projected it. So the guy or the lady shows up to the doctor and says, I'd like to have an abortion. He says, well, how old is the child? How far along are you? She said, eight years. At some point in time, you want to say, I, uh, this is not the child I want. Twisted. We laugh, it's a good joke, but that's where we're going, folks. I watched a video this week, a Down syndrome fella. Powerful. Because now we can, we can tell by, by checking the DNA ahead of time that there's that extra DNA on, on babies that are going to have Down syndrome, so we're going to abort them. I'm getting sidetracked here, but I'm telling you how twisted we are. And he said, if you'd choose that in my day, I would not be here today. And began to tell this group of people what Down syndromes add to society. He said, everywhere we are, people are happier. And on and on he went. It was good stuff. And yet we just say, throw them aside. They're indispensable. I'll tell you, it's twisted, folks. We're twisted today. Begin to think these things. And just allow them. We wouldn't have thought that way years ago. But we're twisting ourselves in sin to where the point is the devil's got us all twisted up. We don't know right from wrong. We don't know life from death. That's good preaching. Perverse, twisted. A whole group of people get twisted away from God's will, and the result is a generation of moral perversion where we can call things that used to be sin, we say they're no longer sin, just because we're twisted, and we want to allow that in our society today. We have a real problem with sexual sin today. A real problem with it. In all of its forms, which has brought on the problem of abortion. And the problem is, is we as a church did not take a stand and say the only kind of sex is allowed is between a man and a woman in marriage. And every other kind of sex is wrong. And we never took that stand. And now we've sown to the wind and we're reaping the whirlwind. To every kind of sexual perversion that is allowed. Crooked and then perverse. Twisted. Warped. This phrase, crooked and perverse generation, is a direct reference by Paul to Deuteronomy 32.5 where those words are used. And it's talking about Paul, I mean, and Deuteronomy is Moses. The whole book is, is Moses preaching. That's why nobody likes to read it. David was saying to the class this morning, he said, nobody reads Deuteronomy. It's all a sermon. He recounts everything that happened in their lives and, and how they kept turning away from God, and, and God's calling them a crooked and perverse generation. Why? Because they, they had everything given to them, and yet they keep twisting off and bending off and contorting themselves into sin, following other gods, going against God's will, complaining and grumping and griping, 
murmuring and doubting. They, they chose to go against God's will. They became warped and twisted spiritually from what God desired. And as a result, they were punished by God in the desert for 40 years. They did not learn the lesson very well. Generations later, they're taken into captivity by the Babylonians because of their quick, uh, crooked, warped, twisted, sinful choices. God says, I'm God. You shall have no other gods before me. Well, here we go. Twist off to this one. Twist off to that one. And I keep reading the Old Testament, and they keep bringing this stuff right into the temple. Right into the very temple of God. It's no wonder God got upset. You start bringing in your Baal worship right here into the temple. Say all religions lead their way to heaven. It's not just Jesus. It's, it's also you can, you can do Buddha or you can do whatever you want. Muhammad and I don't care. You bow down to all of them. Allah, he's God. I, you know, and so we, we bring in all this stuff and pretty soon we're all twisted and perverted. We don't know what right is. I'll tell you what's right. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. That's about as straight as it gets. So Paul's writing the Philippian Christians are living in a sinful environment. The people around them are warped and twisted away from God desired them to be and to experience in life. This had a moral consequence in the society around which these Philippian Christians lived. So Paul wrote that the Christians were to be morally different. When everybody around you is warped and twisted, guess what happens when you are a Christian and look straight? You're going to stick out like a sore thumb. Now, most of us can immediately think of a person, attended this church or in our family, uh, who influenced us because he or she lived in a contrast to the sinful influences in society that were around him. We can think of people who did, who stood up and said no. Who said, I am not going to get involved in that. I'm not going to twist my thinking that way. I'm not going to warp myself away from God in that matter. I'm going to stay true to the good old-fashioned cross of Jesus Christ. And we can think of people like that. Because that person lived a life of personal integrity. And let's look at these three words Paul used to describe this integrity in this kind of a person. Blameless. Blameless means conduct that is above accusation or blame. The Greek term was sometimes put on tombstones back in his day to denote an honest person. This person was without blame. I mean, when they said it, you believed it. That was quite a thing to be able to say for you at the end of your life. So Christians are to grow to the point where the warped and twisted people around them will have an example of what it means to live in a straight way that God intended, a blameless way without blame. You can't find blame with them. And people need to see people without that kind of moral imperfection in their lives, right? We need to be that kind of a person, Paul says. Harmless means moral innocence, purity, sincerity. It's used in uh, classical writing, for undiluted wine. Uh, it's used uh, in Greek writing for metals without alloys added in. 
So in other words, pure, sincere intentions and thoughts and lives. So Christians are to work with God's help to become, Barclay says, this is for yourself. The first one is for others. This one, you looked at yourself and say, is my intentions pure? Am I sincere in what I'm doing? Am I, am I harmless? We need to be true to ourselves. We need to be true, pure gold. We need to understand that my motivation for what I'm saying is not to mislead. My motivation is to be right and pure and holy before God. Amen? So many people are twisted. They, they're not even pure to themselves. Oh, I'll just let this get mixed into my gold. I'll let this get mixed into my life and this mixed into my life until you can't even tell what they are. Christian can look at himself or herself in a mirror and recognize, I am morally innocent, I am pure, I am sincere, I did that for the right reason. Amen. Live with yourself. And then the third, without fault or faultless, is another single Greek word. And, and the, the Greek word refers to a god named Mamas. It's right there in the word. Uh, he's a little-known god in Greek mythology that shows up in, in some of their... Greek writings, and then you put the A in the front, and it says, without fault, because this, this Greek deity, this small-time guy, would go around, and wherever he was, what would he do? He would find fault. So he found fault with all the, you know, the gods would create something, and he'd say, oh, here's the flaw, and here's another flaw, you know, and this is mythology, it's not real, but Zeus kind of got tired of it and kicked him out. You can read about him if you're really interested in that kind of stuff. So that's the word here, fault, always finding fault. That's the Greek word, so immediately everybody knew, and he said, no, it's, you're the person who is not finding fault. You are faultless. You are without fault. And in fact, this Greek translation, the Old Testament, which we call the Septuagint, this word described the animals being presented for the sacrifices in the Jewish sacrificial system. And the word we use in English is without blemish. And you read that many times in the Old Testament, that the lamb was to be without blemish. Same word when you use the Greek and put it back into the Old Testament Hebrew in the, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. And they use this word, which means without blemish, and so now we're talking about a relationship with God. So what is being offered to God is to be without blemish, is to be faultless, is to be without fault. We are to offer to God ourselves in our worship without fault, without blame. We're to offer ourselves to God in service to others without fault, without blame. Right? Without blemish. So most of us, we look at these three words and say, there's no way that we can be blameless, harmless, and faultless. That is why Paul used the verb here in this sentence. That we may become blameless, harmless, and faultless. We may become. What I'm saying is we stop the murmuring and doubting, and we work toward becoming a person of integrity. Because it is not natural and normal in today's society to be an integrity person. To be a moral person. 
in front of others, to ourselves. We're so warped up we can't even be to ourselves. Or to God. And so he's calling us to have integrity to others, to yourself, and to God. Blameless, harmless, faultless. And may become that. We are to work in our personal lives and allow God to make the changes within me so that I can become blameless towards others, harmless towards myself, and faultless before God. So Paul wrote, we are to become children of God. Blameless and faultless, children of God. Children of God emphasizes the family relationship Christians have with God. What is it? The more we try to be like Jesus... And our Heavenly Father, we begin the family resemblance until we can become, we may become blameless, harmless, faultless, part of the family, having the family resemblance. And our growth is always going to be in sharp contrast to those who are becoming more twisted and bent and turned away and perverted away from what God wants them to be. Because God has a design and a plan and a purpose for every life that has been created here. And that is to live straight and holy and blameless and faultless before him. And we twist off in this direction and turn off in that direction and bend our bodies and contort ourselves and contort our minds so that we begin to accept things that make no sense at all when you really logically think about it. Crooked and perverted in sin. Think, think once more of that person who showed you Christian integrity. Some of the older ones in this church who have passed on, a few that have touched my life. I can think of men and women who've done that. Some of their family members are here. People of integrity. In society, in this community, in their homes, in this church, everyone knew it. No twisting, no bending, no curving, no... Right? You saw what a person of integrity looked like. But today there are people looking at you. And they need to see in you what a person of integrity looks like. Who is going to show them the way? Who is going to show them this thing? Because it's not enough that the church twists a little bit to be more like the world. Maybe we could get them to come in. Or we bend a little bit and allow this and that and the other thing to come in. No, ladies and gentlemen, we can't bend. We cannot twist. We have to stay straight. Like Jesus. Woman caught in adultery. They're about to stone him. You without sin cast the first stone. Stones are dropping. People are disappearing. Jesus is writing in the ground. Where are your accusers? Oh, they've, they've left. Jesus in love, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Straighten up your life. Right? He laid it out there. No, don't go back to your sin. Straighten up your life. Stop the sinning. We love the sinner. 
but they're twisted in sin. Hate the devil. He is twisting your friends, your family. He is twisting them from away from what God had designed for them to be. So think about that person with integrity and, and, and understand that you now have to be that person of integrity to show someone else in the next generation what a Christ-like person is like. You need to experience inner purity and sincerity in your own personal life. And God needs to have some moral children who offer themselves to him in praise and service and there's nothing between. I am offering myself without spot, without blemish unto you. Well, you can pick out the blemishes in me, but I'm doing my best And you are doing your best as followers of God to get out the blemishes, right? To be moral and pure before God and before this world. Christians need to grow in personal integrity. This is something we need to add to our spiritual lives. It's something we need to grow in, something we need to mature in. If you're not working on this, you're sowing a bunch of confusion as we take the name of Jesus and then they catch us out there bent and twisted away from the cross. Second one is we need to grow in personal influence. It just comes right out of this. Integrity goes into influence. The contrast of our personal integrity of straight spiritual living to the twisted, immoral living of the sinners led Paul to write about our influence to those sinners. Christians are to live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast the word of life. Well, Pastor, it has a different verse there, and you stopped in the middle of the verse. I'm sorry. (laughs) The verse numbers weren't added until, what, 500 years ago. So don't get too upset about it. They didn't used to be there when, when Paul wrote this. So I can stop right there. And many commentators think you should stop right there and put the break for the next verse. So don't get me upset. Or don't get upset at me. Pastor, you stopped the sermon. Christians are to live as children of God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. Did you get that? Christians are to shine as lights in the world. Again, Paul uses specific words. I keep telling you guys that. You've got to study the words. So the word that he uses for lights is used only here in the entire New Testament of the Greek words that he could choose. We don't understand this, but a lot of times we have one English word, and there's like three or four or five different Greek words that could be used. And each one has their own little nuance to it. And the one that that he chose here is a word that means luminaries because it points directly to the sun, moon, and stars shining out in the world. And the word world is literally cosmos, the universe. And so we are to shine as luminaries out in the cosmos, against the background of the cosmos. So we know that sun is not what's intended here because the sun drives all the darkness away, and there's, there's no contrast. Jesus is the light, and boy, if people let him in, the darkness is gone. 
But what are we to be? We're to be the stars, the, the moon that reflects the light. The moon does. Stars have their own light, but it's the light of Jesus shining within us in a background of a, of a contrast of a cosmos that's black, right? We're in contrast to these crooked and perverse because we shine like stars. The NIV has it right there. The sun drives the darkness away. But we're to shine like stars in a dark, twisted, perverted cosmos. Jesus needs Christians to shine like stars. We are a moral contrast to the sinners around us. But we are more than a moral contrast. That's only half of it. The other part is we are to shine the light of Jesus into the darkness. Right? It's not just look back, oh, look, the world looks up and they see us twinkling little stars. No, there's a reason why we're shining. Why are we shining? To tell them the truth. To let them know there's a Jesus. That there's a light of the world. That there's something different. That their crooked, uh, crooked and twisted lives can be straightened out. And that is done through the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Jesus Christ. So not only do we contrast, but we are to stand out and illuminate the darkness with the light of the world, Jesus Christ, and the truth he brings, which can set them free from the darkness they're living in called sin. Let's look at Paul's next phrase. The second metaphor he uses is holding fast the word of life. Oh, I love this. Now, I read this and say, holding fast the word of life, and I'm going, yes, I want to do that. I want to grab hold of God's word. It gives me life, and I just want to hold fast to it, and I want to live by it, and I want to grow in it, and I want it to be all about me, right? That's okay. Get a hold of everything that God can give you and teach you, but that's not the good translation. It's not holding fast. Paul wrote this. He said, holding forth. Translation I'm reading is not as good there, as accurate. Holding forth the word of light. Holding it out. Some other translations are better. I think it's King James that says holding forth. NIV, I think, is holding out. So it's not just holding God's word of life to ourselves and feeding on it and growing and, oh, boy, I love my life in Jesus. But somewhere along the line, as we shine as stars in the cosmos, we've got to give them the word. Here it is. Take it. Here's God's word. You need this. What well, got quiet? The Philippian Christians were to give the word of life out to the sinners around them. And we've talked about their culture. We talk about how terrible it is. All the deities and everything that they had in that town and, and the pressure that they had because they wouldn't serve those deities and bow down to them. And so they get kicked out of the, of the, the clans, the groups, or whatever, the, the, the working unions and stuff like that because they didn't go to worship that particular god. 
So they're in this environment of constantly standing out, of being different, of being ostracized, of being made fun of, of being persecuted because of their differences. And you know what they did? They held out the word of life. Why am I different? Because of the cross. Because of Jesus, who humbled himself, came obedient to the point of death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, given him the name that's above every name. And I'm bowing before that name, and I'm, my tongue's confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. So they were to give this word of life out to the sinners around them. And I'm so good. And you are so good of sharing the word of life inside the church. Right? It's easy when you come here to share the word of life. There may be a few crooked people in here, slightly bent. And we're trying to straighten them up. So we share the word of life to each other. Right? So point to your neighbor and say, Right? Me. You. And we're real good about sharing the word of life to each other. But the crooked and perverse generation is that mindset outside the church, folks. And I am not so good, and most of you are not so good, sharing it, the word of life at school, at the job, in the Walmart, as we drive our cars. Why did I say that? Because some of us get behind the wheel and we don't act like Christians. And some of us get in the, the line, parking. don't you like it when you're driving around Walmart, you finally get that spot up front and you're about to pull in somebody in front. Ooh! Let me share them the word of life, brother. Thou shalt not steal my parking spot. <laughs> and then we wonder why the world is looking at us and saying, where's the influence? Where's the integrity? Ooh. You see, we have the answer to life's question. We have the word of life. It will give life to those in darkness. You give hope. You restore every heart that is broken. We sang this. Great are you, Lord. It's your breath in my lungs. So we have words that will bring life to anyone who will accept Jesus. We have to do more than just hold fast to the word of life. We've got to hold forth the word of life, ladies and gentlemen. Hold it out for the sinner to see it. Hold it out for the sinner to grasp it. Hold it out for them to contrast it with the crooked life they're living. Hold it out. Hold it out. Hold it out because their life is not the life that they really like. They're not happy. What do you think they drown themselves with, uh, with prescription drugs? Why do you think they drown themselves in alcohol? Why do you think they do the things that they do again and again and again, trying to get a new pleasure out of doing the same old thing? Which doesn't satisfy because there's no life there. 
The life comes from Jesus. The life comes from the word of life, which tells the story of Jesus. And they keep trying and trying and trying, and they get the same results because they haven't changed what they're looking to. And you and I have the answer, and we're holding fast. And not so good about holding it forth. Some of those that we begin to give the word of life to will will begin the process of straightening out their twisted lives, leaving darkness for light, finding out how life was designed to be lived, and begin to realize what really life is all about, which is not about them. It's about him. And the world is so twisted because it's all about me when you're in the world. But it isn't. The only way you're going to really live life is to find out it's all about Jesus. Not about you. Not about me. So we've been talking about ways we as a Christians, and then we had this big break because of the winter, thank you, January, for destroying our themes that we've been working on. But we've been talking about, and Mary even got up here, and, and we, we've been saying, I want you to pray, and we want you to have a conversation about how we as church, as people in this church, can reach out beyond the doors of our church and out into the community in some way impact them with the word of life. What Paul is talking about here to these Philippians who are living in a very sinful environment. Reach out there with the word of life. Hold it out there. Give it to somebody. And so that conversation is going on. We've been, we've been praying about it, but we're a little scared. But that's okay. We must shine like stars into our world and hold out to them to the word of life. And God's going to help us with our scaredness because it's something we haven't done in a while. And the church hasn't, isn't real good at it anymore because we expect people to come to the church. When always in the New Testament it was go out to them. We did it great with the missionaries, but we did a terrible job in the United States. So you have enjoyed the change the word of life has brought to you. Now it is time to share that same word of life with those around you, still trapped, still bent, still twisted by sin. Do you see them? Do you feel their pain? Let me pull these last two sermons together for you. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless, harmless children of God, faultless in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast the word of life. Do without two things to add in two things. Paul wrote to these Christians and to us that we have to stop murmuring and doubting, that we have to start growing in personal integrity and personal influence. So when the sinner sees Christians, guess what? When he, the twisted one, sees us, the straight ones, and we're in the church and we're bickering and complaining and grumping and fussing, Why does he want to be a part of that? Why does the sinner want to come and say, I want to join that? 
And deeper than that, just not even the church, but, I mean, they hear the rumors about the church, right? They know what's going on, some of them. Well, that's the church where such and such happened. But what about our homes? Oh, that's a Christian home. Drive by that place when they're having a wild, drag out, yell, scream, fuss, carry on, abuse, whatever's going on. Christian? That's no different than me, and I'm a sinner. So we're talking about our integrity and our influence. That's why Paul said, get it without the bickering, the murmuring, the doubting. We go around doubting God and constantly discouraged. Everybody sees us at work. What happened to you? Well, God didn't give me what I wanted this week. Preacher said something that got me mad on Sunday. Why do they want to be a part of this? You see, the two go together. If you don't take some of these attitudes out of your life, then how is people going to want it? Not only do we influence them positively, we got to get rid of the negatives because when the two go together, guess what? Then we can shine as stars in the middle of the cosmos, and then we can hold forth the word of life, but they don't want it if it doesn't look any different than what they are living in currently. In fact, I wrote it down and underlined it. Christians have no possibility of transforming our culture if we live just like our culture. If they can't see the difference in us, if our sins are no different than them, if our attitudes are just as disgusting as them, if we're just as bent and twisted as them, then what good is our influence? Paul, why did you write this? Because we need a wake-up call. Amen? Real Christians have to step up the game. This is Super Bowl Sunday. Big deal. You'll have all afternoon to, to digest this and still get ready for the game tonight. But we need to step up our game Because today we need to decide whether we're going to be all in or just playing around at being a Christ follower. With a little murmur, 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 murmur on the side and a little buzz, buzz, buzz and a little doubt, doubt, doubt and a little bickering and a little fussing and that's okay. God understands. Gripe, 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 growl, grouch. So Paul says, step up your game, because it takes a real work. It takes a real work of you and God working in you. Verse 12 and verse 15, or 13. We work in verse 12. God works in us, verse 13. It's going to take real work, ladies and gentlemen, to get out of the bent and twisted way in which we have allowed ourselves to become so that we can be an influence of integrity. Real Christ followers. Are we ready to make the commitment? 
the necessary personal changes in order to step up in integrity, in order to step up in our influence, in order to take the word of life and hold it forth to someone else? Are we going to go back and sit and gripe and doubt and pout and growl? So I ask you, the only real important thing for you to consider right now, what does God want you to do? What does God want you to do? Not what does pastor want you to do? Not what does my spouse want me to do? Not what my parents want me to do? What does God want me to do? Is he pleased with my griping? Is he pleased with my murmuring? Is he pleased with my doubting? No, he is not. I can guarantee you. What does God want you to do? He wants you to step up in your integrity. Blameless, harmless, faultless. Because you're living in the midst of a perverse and crooked generation. And he wants you to shine the light of Jesus. He wants you to hold forth the word of life. Praise team is coming. It's time for us as Christians to surrender. Amen? Surrender to integrity. Surrender to influence. Surrender your disputing and your grumping and your murmuring and your complaining and your doubting. Surrender it. Give it to the Lord today. And then come and commit yourself. To share the word of life. Share the word of life. Because someone needs it. And they need it from you. You'll see people I'll never see. Share the word of life. We don't do this often, but we've got some hurting people. Lost in their life. Some of the brothers and sisters, just come down, put your hands on them and love them today. That'd be great. Just show them you love them today. Let's pray for these that are down here. It's hard when somebody you love is gone. Harry and Judy down here praying as well. Let's just put our loving arms around these brothers and sisters in Christ and guide them through this and love them through it. Amen? Amen. Lord, there's things in our lives that just... Just turn us upside down and twist us and hurt us. But we're calling on a God who comes with light and purity and holiness to show us the way. And he gives us brothers and sisters together around us and guide us and keep us close. And I pray that right now as they surrender their hurts to you, Lord, that you will come in and fill them with the love of Jesus. We are not alone. We have Jesus. We are not alone. We are not alone. We have a God who loves us, and we have brothers and sisters in Christ who love us. And we're always there and will help us through the darkest nights and the, the, the weirdest trials and the, the hurts of life. And so, Lord, today we pray for a special touch. Be with the family of Linda Rogers today, we pray. And we pray that you will heal and help and encourage and strengthen. But also, Lord, be with other families that are going through so much. 
Would you help them in their despair and discouragement and times of doubt? And what do we do and where do we go to realize that there's Jesus who's always right there? Just on the other side of that dark cloud, there's a sun that's shining. And that sun that's shining is Jesus Christ. And he says, I love you and I care about you and I'm going to help you. That one that's discouraged today, the one that's overwhelmed by ministry, the one that's overwhelmed by, by work, by relationships, by finances, by, by, by hurt today, by, by uh, doubts and confusion. Lord, I just pray that you'll break through like a ray of sunlight right now and come into their lives and help them to see there's Jesus. There's Jesus. You are here, Lord. Every day with Jesus. Every day with Jesus. And we can take it and we can make it. Lord, we will serve you because we love you. We're going to live for you, Lord, because you died for us. We're going to make this a different day because, Lord, we have Jesus in our hearts and lives. We have our church family around us who love us today. Thank you, Lord, for your help. You will be with us. Lord, I'm with you always. And so, Lord, whatever it is today, we give it to you, asking you to help us. Leave it, leave it here, Lord. We leave it here. We go with Jesus. And now, Lord, we're going to worship you in our worship service. Songs have been picked out and be sung in a few minutes. We're just going to worship Jesus, and we're going to love you. And we're going to let you know, Lord, that you are part of our lives. Responding to this time of prayer, now with a time of worship. Thank you, Jesus. We love you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Let's worship the Lord. We hope you enjoyed this sermon. If you're looking for a church in the Brazil, Indiana area, the Brazil Church of the Nazarene invites you to join us as we seek Him, celebrate Him, and serve Him. Sunday morning, we have Sunday school at 9 a.m. and worship at 10 a.m. During worship, we have We Worship for preschool-aged kids and a children's church for elementary-aged kids. For this information, news, a schedule of events, and more, please visit us online at brazilnaz.com. That's B-R-A-Z-I-L-N-A-Z dot com. Or visit us in person at 1002 East National Avenue in Brazil. Thank you and God bless.